Hello, everyone. I am Angela Holiday Bell, uh, a physician in the Washington, D.C. area, as well as a clinical sleep health specialist. Um, in those roles, I take care of kids from all ages, starting from birth up and through adolescence. Um, and then, of course, I teach people how to live happier and healthier lives through getting good sleep. Uh, I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, but I now reside in the Washington metro area in northern um, Springfield. I'm just so excited to share my journey with everyone. You know, my mantra is always never be afraid to pursue your dreams, no matter how crazy it may seem. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Pill Talk Podcast, the place where you come get your daily dose of education, motivation, and something to inspire you to live at your full potential, um, where you can become an empowered leader that can dream bigger. So today on Pill Talk Podcast, I have my guest, Angela Holiday Bell. She currently resides in the Metro DC area. She's a board certified pediatrician, a clinical sleep health specialist, and practicing currently as a primary care physician. And she is from Chicago, Illinois. So how are you doing today, Dr. Bell? I'm doing well. Very excited to be on the show and talk a little bit more about what I do. Hey, I'm happy to have you here, man. So let's jump right on into it. So let us know a little bit about yourself and your um, and what made you choose the career that you're in. Yeah, so uh, I'm originally from inner city, west side Chicago, uh, which makes my career choice as a physician pretty interesting because there are not a lot of people who look like me who were physicians uh, in my community. But I did make the decision to become a doctor at the very tender age of six. Um, okay. I think that, you know, looking back, I really do think that was something that God put in my heart and that I was meant to do, but I did happen to have for a, par a part of my life, a black woman physician. Um, and of course was the only person that looked like me that I ever saw in any type of role similar to that at all. Um, and I think just seeing her was just like inspiring. She was so, uh, knowledgeable. She was caring. She was kind. Um, I went in, you know, feeling sick or feeling some way, and she always had the answers and knew how to make me feel better. So I think even at that age, subconsciously, you know, I looked at her and was like, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to be that, um, especially because I didn't have other, uh, like, role models doing some of the things around me. So I made that decision very young, and luckily I stuck with it. Um, as I got older, I just put myself into situations to experience the medical field uh, more deeply um, and, you know, got to get the, the real insight into what it was like to be a doctor. And every experience just kind of built upon my desire to do it. And I stayed on that path. And here I am. As well. Um, but that's great that you actually had someone that, the, that you could see that actually looked like you and was able to help because that's one thing that we missing in the healthcare field is more black doctors, um, women doctors, male doctors, just black personnel in general. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit. Let's follow your path from the beginning. So what was the education that you had to get to or had to take to get to where you were at? Um, so I'll, I'll go back to, to high school, um, actually. So, you know, obviously high school is standard. You take your normal courses, but I had the opportunity my senior year to take a medical science course, uh, which was a course that trained me to be a CNA in high school. So I would go to the hospital before 
high school started. So like six o'clock in the morning and take this additional course. Uh, and I did it just so I can be in the hospital and like be in that setting and um, get some experience and really see if that's something I wanted to do, which really helped a lot at that age because, you know, there, there weren't many other like options available to me to gain that experience. So I feel like that was super valuable. And then after that, I went on to college um, and I majored in molecular and cellular biology there and I was pre-med. Um, so I did my four years in college. After that, I really, uh, I knew the goal was always medical school. Like I said, I was been on the same path forever. Um, but I also wanted to do, or I thought that I wanted to do research as a part of my career. So like medicine, but medical research in addition. So I did a one year um, accelerated master's in biotechnology after uh, college. Um, which was great. It was an excellent experience. I realized that the, the bench work research was not really for me, but I, I gained a lot of, you know, experience there. And then I went on to medical school at the University of Illinois in Chicago. I did that for four years. Um, and then I went on to residency, which uh, for people who don't know, you know, after you finish medical school, there are different specialties that you can do. So uh, pediatrics, which is what I do, you take care of kids, um, internal medicine, you take care of adults, dermatologists take care of skin, so on and so forth. So you have to do specialized training in that. Um, so I did that for three years, I actually just finished that up about eight months ago now, which seems crazy. Congrats, congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then I, and then that was my schooling and journey to becoming a pediatrician, um, which is what I do now. But then I also did some separate training just kind of in my own time in um, sleep health, because as I uh, was going through medical training and not sleeping, as I'm sure people can imagine, <laughs> <laughs> I really developed a strong passion for sleep uh, and helping other people get sleep. So I spent time training in the sleep medicine clinic in my hospital. Um, I did my own self-study and then eventually, well, very recently, uh, about a month ago now, became certified in clinical sleep health. All right. Great. Great. So seeing like you got a lot, you know a lot. Um, so let's break down each of those things that you have accomplished. Let's say... Let's start with the pediatrician, right? So let's give the overview of what you actually do and then talk a little bit about how you're able to change and impact the lives of the kids that you get to encounter. Yeah, so being a pediatrician is amazing. I, of course, I'm biased, but I think it's the best job in the world. <laughs> uh, because I feel like as a doctor, you know, you think about emergencies and sick, you know, cases and, you know, people dying in coding, which a lot of that is a part of being a doctor and it's unavoidable. The thing I love about pediatrics is I spend a lot of my time taking care of healthy kids and building relationships with them and their families, discussing, you know, what's to come, how they should advance, how they should develop. And that brings me so much joy because personally, I don't need to see someone who's on the brink of death every day with every patient like that yeah. becomes a lot um sometimes i just want to talk to the family say hey your kid is normal this is what you can expect you know moving forward and of course like starting from the newborn visit which is when i first see babies like literally after birth usually within the next two to three days they see me for the first time and so you know seeing parents who especially new parents who have no idea what to do with this child, no idea what to expect, <laughs> all the questions, um, and being able to talk them down and talk them through the process 
And literally within that first like two weeks, I'm seeing some of these these kids, you know, every couple of days. Um, and so you really develop such a strong and meaningful relationship with the kids and the parents. Um, and then what's beautiful is that you get to see that child grow into literally an adult. I see, you know, kids, quote unquote, uh, up until they're 22 years old. So they're now grownups. Um, and uh, I get to start from the beginning and then see how they grow and progress, uh, which I, I really love. And then, of course, you have your sick kids uh, who have chronic illnesses um, or who come in really sick and need emergency care. And you have to just be, you know, really quick on your toes and making the right diagnosis. Because I think the thing that can be a little bit scary uh, about being a primary care pediatrician is you're the first point of contact. Um, so you generally, when something's wrong with the kid, unless it's like very obvious and super emergent, parents are coming to you even before they go to the ER. They're coming to you to determine if they need to see a specialist. And there can be subtle things that, you know, may not jump out at you know, at you or at parents as being something that's wrong and you have to be the person to catch that. Um, so that that can be, you know, a little tricky sometimes because you, you gotta be on your toes. You gotta treat every single patient with all of your attention and you don't wanna miss anything, but it also is something that keeps it interesting. Um, you also have to know a lot about a lot. So again, <laughs> as, as a primary care pediatrician, you know, if I were to specialize, let's say as a cardiologist, that's a heart doctor, you got to know a lot about the heart. Um, but anything else, you know, you're like, okay, that's not really a problem. But I got to know a lot about the heart and the stomach and the brain and everything else. Because again, if something goes wrong in any of those uh, things, I need to be able to catch that and send it on. But I enjoy that part. Like I said, no day is the same from one day to another. It starts with a healthy newborn to a kid who's in a DKA, which is a diabetic crisis for the first time, who didn't even know they had diabetes, um, to now dealing with lots of the COVID things on the front line. So it's definitely a very interesting job. Um, and I love the variety of it. Um, and then switching to that, from that to sleep. So I, I do both things. I do uh, my primary care pediatrics clinic, and then I do uh, sleep consulting in addition to that. And again, that passion just grew from me not getting sleep, going through uh, medical training and realizing the toll that lack of sleep really took on your mental health and your physical health. Um, and also realizing that you know, many people don't understand how detrimental that can be in wanting to um, to help them with that. So I started with a blog, actually, a sleep blog, where I just, you know, I wanted to give the content to the masses. I was already educating my patients about sleep, but I'm like, how can I reach more people? And then um, once I decided to become certified as a specialist, uh, I got trained in cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is a specific uh, therapeutic uh, treatment. Um, so now I do that one-on-one -on -one with individuals um, patients. And then I actually have online courses too, where patients can kind of take themselves through that process. All right. Great. Great. Um, because we're in the midst of this COVID and you did just said, uh, you treat your pediatric patients for COVID. What's one of the things that you use to treat them with, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I would say, so the good thing about uh, COVID is that uh, our pediatric patients tend not to get as sick with it, which is excellent. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, generally for them, it's like a cold. And so for colds, you know, we treat them supportively, meaning we say you should stay hydrated. You know, if you have congestion, there are things you can do to clear the congestion and things like that, but there's no specific treatment. And unfortunately, even for our ones who have, you know, um, more severe symptoms, there's no specific treatment for COVID in the pediatric population, I should say. Um, so if they're like 
if they're having significant symptoms but not significant enough to go to the uh, to the ER, it's really just close monitoring. If they have underlying conditions like asthma, um, making sure that they're using their inhalers appropriately um, and in the right timing. But the scary thing about it, it really is just supportive care. Like there's not a whole lot you can do to stop the progression. You just want to prevent any, you know, serious illness from it. Oh, dope. All right. So talked a little bit about that and let's get into your clinical health specialist, right? Mm-hmm. So you said in your residency, you realized how important sleep was to you. Because <laughs> I've talked to a few residents and people that just got out of it as well. And they're like, yo, 18 hour days, 16 hour days, not getting any sleep and just pushing through. Um, what are some of the effects of not having proper sleep? Oh, gosh, the effects are numerous. So um Getting inadequate sleep, even for, you know, a short amount of time significantly increases your uh, risk of developing depression um, mm-hmm. and anxiety. In some studies, almost 10 times the risk for uh, depression specifically. Also your immunity. So your ability to fight off infections um, decreases significantly. Uh, so much so they've, they've done experiments where they have exposed people to the cold virus. And people who slept six hours a night, which for most people, that's kind of average, like that's not even, you know, super low, uh, leading up to being exposed were three times as likely to actually develop a cold from that virus than people who got seven or more hours of sleep. Um, Because your body really kicks up the production of all of the things that fight off germs and infections while you're sleeping. your, um, the way that you look, which, you know, for some people that's the biggest, you know, that's the biggest motivator for sleeping. So you're more likely to look aged, to develop wrinkles and sagging skin and dark under eye circles when you're not getting enough sleep. You're also more likely to gain weight too. Uh, so when you're, uh, not getting sufficient sleep, the hormone that your body naturally produces called ghrelin that makes you hungry is produced in higher levels than the hormone that makes you full. Um, so your body is wanting to consume more calories. In addition, behaviorally, you're just more likely to consume worse foods and more calories when you're awake. Um, you're not burning as many calories uh, when you are awake if you're not getting as much sleep. So it's just like a perfect storm. And you're less likely to be physically active. It's like a perfect storm for um for gaining weight. And so, and then it affects, uh, even if it's not, you know, to the point of depression or anxiety, it just affects your mood overall. You're more irritable, you're more stressed, um, you're more likely to uh, have interrelationship problems, you're less productive at work. And these are like yeah. literally based on studies uh, that your, um, your response time is decreased, your creativity is decreased. Like literally think about any important function of the body and it is going to be not functioning as well as it could if you're not getting enough sleep. Wow. You just taught me a little bit just now. I didn't know your (laughs) immune system boost for getting that much sleep. And uh, we all seen the people who, when they don't get that sleep, you're like, yo, you're looking tired over there. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Looking a little aged. But um, that's dope. All right. So... How did you get into the sleep um, program or course or whatnot? Yeah, that's a good question. So it was actually an interesting uh, course for me. There, There is a fellowship in sleep medicine. Um, and again, I already talked about residencies where you specialize in a specific uh Um, part of medicine, but then fellowship is like specialized even more. Um, So there is one in sleep. And I thought about doing that 
the the thing for me is a lot of sleep is behavioral so it's all about like educating people on um the importance of sleep and how to get good sleep and really what behavioral changes you can cure it whereas a fellowship was very medicalized it was very like sleep studies where you go in and like it's, it's just a whole thing that's very medicalized and I really wanted to focus on the behavioral aspect um so I did a lot of self-training like I the first book I read on sleep was written by the founder of sleep medicine like he he founded sleep stages like he's the one who came up with this and it was so fascinating I've read like countless number of books on sleep uh, now I worked in the sleep medicine clinic with the behavioral psychologist at my uh, hospital as opposed to the actual physician um, because of the behavioral aspect that he did. So I learned from him. And then I found the clinical sleep health uh, certification um, as a, a online course, actually. So it it has some medical aspects to it, but it, in between like doing in-person visits with the behavioral psychologist and then doing the, um, the specific training for that, I was able to test and get my certification. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Um, speaking about uh, sleep, we talked about some of the bad issues you can have with sleep, which is weakened immune system, um, gaining weight, uh, looking tired or aged or whatever. Um, so, if someone is experiencing these things and they're having bad sleep, what are some sleep hygiene techniques that they can use to improve themselves? Hmm. Uh, so I would say number one, prioritizing sleep. So most people feel like, oh, I'll sleep when I have time or, you know, sleep is not important, but you really have to flip that mental concept to say, I'm going to do what it takes to get good sleep. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be one of those things that fall by the wayside. Once you decide to do that, really coming up with a sleep schedule and sticking to it. Mm -hmm. So we have our circadian rhythm that is part of what controls our sleep. There's another process as well. But the circadian rhythm is important in that it tells our body when we feel sleepy, when we feel alert. Um, and the way that it works its best is when you synchronize it and you're doing um, similar activities at similar times every day around the like 24 cycle, 24 hour cycle. So that means waking up at the same time every day, even on the weekends, which is uh, where most people go wrong uh, because you know, weekends you tend to stay up later, you go to sleep later, but that really throws off your whole rhythm. It can make it more difficult to fall asleep when you try to get back into your normal sleep schedule. Um, same thing for falling asleep. Having a bedtime routine is actually huge. Um, so again, people feel like, oh, just, you know, I'll be awake and doing all these things. And when I want to sleep, I just, you know, go to sleep. Some people have the magical ability to do that. Many of us do not. And so you have to help your body transition to sleep, your body and your mind, really. And one way to do that is a bedtime routine that should be started about an hour before your bedtime. So if you say, I want to be in bed by 11 p.m., that routine should be at 10 p.m. Uh, and then when you're doing that routine, avoiding any electronics. Um, because they emit a blue wavelength of light that stops your natural melatonin release. And melatonin is what causes your body to naturally feel sleepy. So if you have something that's constantly activating you and suppressing that, it's unlikely that you'll feel sleepy at the time that you want to. Um, and instead, do soothing activities like taking a hot shower or bath, reading under dim light, listening to calming music, meditation, all of those things are an excellent way to transition your body over to sleep. Um, blocking out all light outside with either blackout curtains or a blackout mask, because again, light stops the melatonin release and makes it harder for you um, to feel sleepy. Um, but it's really just the, the repetition of doing that every day that trains your body to get sleepy at the same time. 
Also avoiding caffeine or alcohol too close to bedtime. Many people rely on caffeine to be awake and alert, generally because they're not getting enough sleep. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that caffeine actually has a half-life of five to six hours, meaning after five to six hours, half of the amount of caffeine you took, you drank is still in your system. So if you do that too late, that alerting effect they use before during the day will be present at night and it's gonna be counterproductive. And then alcohol, on the other hand, people you know usually associate with feeling sleepy. Like you have a couple glasses of wine, it causes you to be sleepy. Yeah. Um, but alcohol is broken down very quickly. And then after that, it actually causes an alerting effect. So it may make you feel sleepy at the beginning of the night, but it's broken down within a few hours. And so you are more likely to wake up and have fragmented sleep. Um, so all of those things kind of put together will help your body naturally transition to sleep and help you to stay asleep longer. Okay, great, great, great. So you're telling people, put down the cell phones before they go to bed. Absolutely. Um, don't take that, don't, don't, uh, don't get turned up the night before or that night thinking mm -hmm. you're about to go straight to sleep. Even though you exactly. may feel sleepy, you might not stay asleep. Exactly, exactly, 100%. I feel you. But yeah, some of those things right there we had to learn too in pharmacy school, like making sure you have a good um, uh, sleep hygiene, uh, sleep routine is the better term. Um, one of the things I do, uh, I don't prescribe it, but inform people that come into the retail uh, is to get melatonin when they're saying they're, they're unable to sleep, you know. Um, I got an actual question for you. So what do you try to dose someone at with the melatonin? Could I kind of just stick to like a two milligram or a five milligram, depending on like the person's size and be like, hey, if you're not getting enough, take an extra if you do wake up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say, first of all, what I tell people is get your sleep hygiene and sleep routine in order. Um first before you try to take melatonin or any other sleep uh, supplement, because that's exactly what it is. It's a supplement. Melatonin prepares your body for sleep, but it won't help as much as having a good sleep routine and good sleep hygiene. There are some people who uh, don't produce either enough melatonin or are not as responsive to melatonin. And generally you see that as uh, people are aging. So in the older population and by aging, I mean like 50s, which is not very old. Uh, and so, especially in that population, melatonin does definitely have a place. So I say, you know, start with a sleep routine, sleep hygiene. Uh, if you need melatonin, start with the lowest dose possible. And by lowest dose, I mean one milligram. Um, people have the mistake of thinking, oh, I just take more, then I sleep better. And that's actually not true. You can take too much melatonin and it can actually have a, um, the reverse effect on you um, mm -hmm. and make it harder to fall asleep. Also can make you feel uh, like drowsy the next day. So I say start with one milligram and then increase by one milligram until you get the desired effect. Um, and then there are the, the newer like extended release melatonin uh, formulations that hang around a little bit longer. And that actually clo more closely mimics your natural melatonin release. So I actually am now recommending that for um, a lot of people, especially if they have problems staying asleep, getting that extended release. But again, just the smallest dose possible and go up in little increments. Oh, hey, that's some great information. I definitely can apply that myself right there. Hopefully the listeners listen to this can apply the routine uh, if they needed some melatonin into them into their lifestyle or sleep routine. So um your career, right? It seems like you got a busy career. You're working with a with the kids as a pediatrician. You also help as a sleep specialist. 
how do you find a work-life balance and what does that look like to you? Man, that's a good question. I think uh, <laughs> starting in residency, well, medical school, really, but also in residency, I really had to, you know, figure out work-life balance. What does that mean when you're working 80 hours a week? Um, but to me, that means prioritizing the things that are important to you. So I, sleep is a way that I balance my life. <laughs> Uh, not surprisingly, like I am just a better human being in all ways when I get sleep. So I literally, I get nine hours of sleep at night, uh, non-negotiable. I make sure that that happens. Uh, after that though, you know, I, I'm married. So I prioritize spending, you know, time, quality time with my husband, who is actually a farm B as well. Um, oh, that's what's up. Good man. Yeah. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and my family is really important to me, friends. Now that I'm out of residency, I definitely, even though I've found a way to fill my time up again, uh, I do have more time to work with and I have more control over my schedule. So I make sure that I just prioritize, prioritize the things that are important to me. I definitely am a very planned out person. I have my to-do list, my checklist, and there's kind of a time for everything. So I just make sure, you know, for me, sleep is not, is very important. You know, my husband's up there too. Uh and then my family and my friends. So I try, you know, every week to really do something that hits on multiple of the things that are important to me so that I can have a balance in what I do professionally. That's what's up. That's what's up. Because having a work-life balance is essential, definitely in the careers that we're in, helping the people that we can help. Because if we're not balanced, we can't help anyone else balance their life or fix their life, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. That's Thank you. So you're here now. Where do you see your career going in the future? Do you see yourself getting another degree, another uh, <laughs> certification and helping other people? What's next for you? Uh, potentially, actually. So uh, I think I would do I would do my pediatric practice probably until I retire and can't practice anymore. I really love my patients. I love seeing them in clinic. I love growing with them and it really just... Uh, fills my heart. So I think I would do that to some extent, no matter what. Um, I intend to grow my sleep business, you know, even more. I think uh, ideally my plan is to do consulting for uh, private companies, like professional companies, corporations, and things like that too. So they can take, um, they can uh, like help their employees get more sleep, increase productivity, and just overall well-being. Um, also, you know, I'm very interested in the health disparities surrounding sleep. So uh, African-Americans are more likely to suffer from insomnia than any other population. Um, also more likely to suffer from obstructive sleep apnea, which definitely has significant um, physical effects down the line specifically. And so I just want to raise more awareness around that um, and hopefully get to a point that we can get more people you know, in to be tested for that and, um, you know, change some lives really. And then in terms of the certification, I am looking at potentially uh, becoming a, a lifestyle medicine physician. Okay. And uh, what that entails is a lot of what I'm already doing. So uh, it entails sleep, but also stress management, exercise and nutrition and how you can manage chronic conditions using those foundations. And those are already, you know, facets that I believe in and things that are really important to me, but it would also help me to um, do a little bit, a little bit more work in the adult world when it comes to those things. And I think just, you know, as physicians, I think we're very quick to just throw medications at things and medication definitely has its role. But I think yeah. if we, if I had the time 
to focus more on the fundamentals of good health and managing stress and getting sleep and those things, we would actually see a lot more benefit. Uh, and so that that may be coming down the line. That's what's up. That's what's up. But that's um, a couple of things. That's a good point uh, you made. Uh, trying to get people to actually change their lifestyle, which can actually change their chronic disease states, their sleep, their diabetes, hypertension. So I wish more doctors was on that. And that only made me thought of that because I know when patients come to the pharmacy, it's always that I went there to get a prescription. Mm -hmm. I went to the doctor to get, a, to get some medications. It's not like you went to the doctor to learn something, to change or modify your lifestyle so that you can get off your medications. Because exactly. I believe that's the end goal is to live a healthy lifestyle so you can be off of it. Yep. But we live in, a, in the times now where it's just like give a prescription Yep. get them maintained at a level and keep them there. A hundred percent. You hit that right on the head. Absolutely. We're, we are living in a reactive instead of a preventative uh, community. And I feel like as physicians, we should always be preventative. We should always be working to prevent the disease before it comes. So you don't need the medication as opposed to, okay, when it comes, we should just throw some medication on it. So yeah, it definitely takes some reframing around that. Yes, definitely. So can you speak a little bit about your course and your business um, that you have around sleep? So just in case people don't know or want to know. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a site called thesolutionissleep.com um, based off my company's The Solution is Sleep LLC. And what I've done there, so, you know, sleep is one of those things that's hard. It's not as simple as, okay, just go to sleep. Like for some people, just some of those simple sleep hygiene practices and change sleep schedule will cut it. But for some people, that's not, you know, necessarily true. And again, as someone who suffered from insomnia because of a multi, you know, faceted uh, amount of things that affected my sleep, it wasn't as simple as like, okay, now just go to sleep. So that's what led me to get, you know, trained in cognitive behavioral therapy uh, for insomnia that includes those hygiene things, but it also includes reframing your thoughts and attitudes about surrounding sleep, helping you to get rid of the stress and anxiety that for most people is a reason that they can't sleep or stay um, asleep and help you to get that better quality sleep. And that takes time and it's a therapeutic process. And unfortunately, not very many people are certified in CBTI. And by not very many, I think, I don't even know, of around five to 10 of like therapists and even less of doctors. Um, so I wanted to try to, to give that to the masses. So my, my online course is a five-week process that takes you through all of the steps of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And it's a self-guided course that allows you to go through the process on your own. And then I have an option to um, consult with me one-on-one -on -one where you kind of go through the process where we sit down together each week and look at sleep logs and go through the, um, the recommended techniques and kind of work you through uh, improving your sleep overall. That's great. That's great. So you, you just mentioned the website. Um, if they want to reach you through Instagram, any other social media um, platforms, how can they reach you and how can they get some more information about the sleep business? Yeah. So on Instagram, I am the sleep underscore MD. Um, and you can also email me at the solution is sleep at gmail.com um, or go through my website. I have a contact uh, page there that you can send a question or um, inquiry. My website is currently, um, it's there as my blog, but it's currently under construction as I'm getting some new uh, courses added, but that will be up and going by the end of this month, which I'm super excited about. Uh, but any specific questions, absolutely. Anytime you want to uh, reach me on my Instagram or by email, I'm always happy to, to talk and um, respond. That's what's up. That's what's up. 
Well, this has been Pill Talk Podcast. I have my great guests here giving us some dope information about being a pediatrician, about great sleep hygiene, what you can do to improve your sleep. Make sure you reach out to her, Dr. Bell. If you got any questions, comments, or concerns, make sure you become an empower leader and dream bigger.